Things are starting to get serious, guys, and we're about to get you informed all on what's going on in this new Thatcher Effect episode. The Jazz are coming off a three-game road trip against three former Jazz players from last year's team. Um, Donovan Mitchell of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Joe Ingles of the Milwaukee Bucks, and Bojan Bogdanovich of the Detroit Pistons. Also, welcome back, Joe Ingles. Welcome back to the NBA. He started playing again on Monday. Um, but the Jazz currently sit at a number eight in the standings and are gearing up for another quick road trip. Hey, I'm sad that we missed Joe by one game, but sometimes it's just how the, the cards turn. How the cookie Utah crumbles. Football. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The cookie crumbles. Utah football gears up for its bowl game with some impressive recruiting commits as today is National Signing Day. And Utah basketball loses once again to BYU. Things have not been looking good in uh, that matchup for the last few years. What should we expect from them in conference play coming up? And for our weekly draft segment, who are our starting five Marvel characters? That's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. All right, guys, here are today's Thatcher Effect headlines. Richie, everyone's got to know, this is your time to shine. Take us away with some Utah Jazz. All right, my time to shine, I guess. Um, the Utah Jazz are currently 18 and 16. Isn't it crazy we're already this far into the season? It, um, it doesn't feel this far, but somehow we're, yeah, we're like basically almost 40 games in. It's, yeah, it's, it's wild. Um, we currently hold the eighth seed in the West. Um, we're getting home from a three game road trip against Milwaukee, Cleveland, and Detroit. Our schedule is looking to lighten up though, as we currently have the easiest remaining schedule in the NBA that factors in travel that factors in opponents. So that's a pretty good sign. Um, we play the wizards this week who were on a 10 game losing streak, but beat the suns miraculously last night. Um, the suns without Devin Booker and with Deandre Ayton and, uh, Monty Williams fighting during halftime. So there's some some chaos going in there. Then we go on a road trip and we play the Spurs. We play the Warriors without Steph Curry and the Sacramento Kings. As the trade market opens up and rumors begin to spread across the league, the Jazz will be a team that everyone keeps an eye on. Before we move on, I think the Suns, the like Suns halftime breakdown, I'm getting a lot of like Jazz vibes from like last year and the year before from the Suns team. I don't know about you, but everything what they're doing seems oddly similar. I don't know how you're feeling about it. Yeah, no, I, I, it does seem eerily similar. Um, kind of all this chaos going on in their locker room. And it's been since the start of the season, like Deandre Ayton had his comments during preseason about how Monty Williams and him didn't talk at all during the summer. And then everything just like kind of started going back to normal. They started winning games. Chris Paul doesn't look like Chris Paul. Um, he's finally, looking like father time's caught up to him. I think Devin Booker is the one really bright spot of their team. Him and Mikael Bridges, they're both playing really great basketball. Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems like something is just going awry there. They recently got bought, uh, I think just two days ago though, the team got bought from Robert Sarver for about $4 billion. So who knows what yeah, can that, happen with new new management. 
I saw someone tweet that like Ryan Smith got a steal if that's how much people are paying for NBA teams nowadays. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I just think it's funny because, yeah, it's like changing management while all this team chemistry is going on. And I was like, wow, this sounds so similar to what the Jazz went through. They had a few years of like being high, having great regular seasons. Playoffs don't really like pay off or what the fans were expecting. And now they're getting a change in management. Things aren't doing well in the front office. I was like, wow, okay. I've been here before. I mean, yeah, we, with the Suns, we can't forget what happened to them in the playoffs last year. We yeah, can't forget like, what Luka Doncic did to them in that Game 7. That was that, horrendous. I, I was excited for that Game 7, and then I was like, well, I guess I know what I'm going to do with my night after. Hey, you know, it, it was still my favorite quarter. Game 7 to watch. <laughs> that, it, it's true. I, I'm not the biggest Suns fan, so it was nice to see Devin Booker and those guys not get what they want. Yeah, I'll agree. All right, guys, Utah football is getting ready for their second straight Rose Bowl appearance as they will face Penn State on January 2nd. That's going to be a good matchup. Dalton Kincaid, Clark Phillips will both not play after declaring for the NFL draft, but their next biggest question is what will Rising do and who will follow him? The run-in Utes are currently 9-4 and four after their loss to BYU. A week ago, they had NCAA tournament hopes, but expectations from the outside are shifting quickly. Utah plays number 20 TCU tonight in a game that could bolster their out-of-conference resume before conference play officially begins. The running Utes will look for revenge against TCU and will look to redeem, redeem what was honestly just a horrendous loss to the BYU Cougars down in Provo. Yeah, that should be interesting to dive into that later on in the episode. Um, and, of course, we got some some sports topics around around the world. We could talk about this recruiting class for Utah real quick. We're, we're closing in on a top 20 nationally ranked recruiting class for the Utah Utes, which would be the first time ever in program history. Um, as far as the latest updates, they've basically assigned everyone except for one of the players that they were expecting as that wide receiver switched to Arizona. But I think this class is insanely impressive. Um, and I have to admit, and if you look at all of these um, commits comments on the Utes last season, I think a lot of their decision-making came because of that Pac-12 championship. Um, I don't know how this recruiting class would have geared up if Utah did not go back-to-back because a lot of these guys credit what Utah did with their backs up against the wall, getting knocked down, finding a way to the championship, and then doing what they did to USC. It seemed like that is what kind of pulled a lot of these guys over the edge to come over to Utah. What, what have your thoughts been about this recruiting class coming in to Salt Lake City? Yeah, it's it's been incredible. It's kind of interesting to watch the evolution of this Utah football program since they've been in the Pac-12 because when we started out, we were um, – it was pretty rough. We were getting two- and three-star guys. However, our player development was really good, and we were developing these guys into NFL guys. And I think now when we have four-star, five-star guys, I think it's just going to open up the world for what this Utah football team could be. I think Kyle Whittingham, his – game philosophy has kind of changed over the years I feel like he used to be a very conservative coach but now he's taking the risks because I think he has the guys to be able to do it and so I just think we're going to keep we're going to see more of that Utah football is going to become more and more exciting Um, what really excites me about this class is you already have some guys that will instantly be able to come in and fill some holes and be instant contributors I think that's really important if you want to keep contending Um, but yeah it's it's an it's an awesome class. I I don't know how you cannot just be out of your mind ecstatic about what is happening in Utah right now. Yeah, I think I think the reason why Ute fans have to be excited about this is like you said, the development that Utah does with its players, and usually those are two and three star guys. 
So now that they're starting to get more four-star guys is saying, okay, now you have these naturally talented kids coming out of high school. See what you can do with them. It's those guys like Jalen Johnson, Clark Phillips, those three-year guys where basically you can just help them perfect their craft and grow up in this culture that Utah has of becoming a leader, becoming a winner, and then moving on to the league. So yeah, we can dive in more into that, but super exciting stuff. And then, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a soccer guy, but come on. Argentina wins the World Cup. Messi gets the World Cup championship, wins it over France and Mbappe in what everyone is saying on Twitter is possibly the greatest soccer match ever. Richie, did you get to watch that final on Sunday? Dude, I, I watched all 140 whatever minutes of it. It was, it was incredible. It was very entertaining. I, yeah, like I watched all the U.S. matches and, you know, all the other, you know, kind of big matches once we got to the knockout rounds. And all of them were just kind of like, eh. You know, you have, they had their moments. They had their 30 seconds of glory with some goals. But this one was like, dang. I was like, it was fast-paced. I was loving it. I mean, I was in church for uh, the last, like, 30, 45 minutes of it. And you bet your bottom dollar. It's on my phone and in the back <laughs> of the church. I'm watching it. And I was going crazy because the last, like, I don't know, 10. I mean, that last part of the second half of overtime, phenomenal. I was, like, on the edge of my seat. And the saves by Argentina's goalkeeper, fantastic. I, I just thought that, honestly, I was like, yeah, okay, I enjoy soccer. But I don't know if anything is going to get better than this. So, Yeah, no, it, it was it was top tier. I think it was like top tier in every way, though, considering who was playing. Because you have Messi, who's basically Tom Brady, LeBron James. You know, he's on that tier of athlete. And then he's going against Kylian Mbappe, who's like, the rising up and coming guy. He's the Patrick Mahomes. He's the Giannis Antetokounmpo. You know, he's the guy that's going to take the spot. And both of them played incredible games. I thought it was so fun that, you know, like sometimes you'll have those games, those soccer games where you got high tier players playing in it, but they're maybe not making plays all the time. But in that game, you had Messi with two goals and Mbappe with three goals. It was just, it was awesome. I like all the uh, NBA references. Those are honestly my favorite tweets. I think I saw one. That, um, <laughs> there was that there was that goal save by Argentina's keeper with like a minute or two to go in the second half of overtime. He like comes out of the box and saves it by like doing the splits. And someone was like, explain this to me like it's an NBA terms. And they put the shot of the LeBlanc on Golden State 2016. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's perfect. <laughs> Anyways, uh, good stuff. All right, guys, it's time to get jazzy. This Utah Jazz segment is brought to you by DraftKings. The NBA season is heating up still. There's still so many unknowns. We're halfway through the season. It seems like we're starting to get to know where everyone's going to be probably ending up come the end of the season. But if you're looking to get on the action, bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. So check this out right now. Everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, and the bigger your shot to win big. Download the app now, sign up with code TBPN, place a $5 pregame money line bet on any NBA team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN, only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. All right, Richie, you're the jazz man. What are your jazz notes for this week? Man, I don't think you could go the last week of jazz basketball without without talking about Lowry Markinen. Um, 
all-star voting has officially opened up and I think it's going to open up a lot of conversation about this player specifically. So Larry Markkinen last night against Detroit had 38 points, which tied his career high. He had, I believe nine three pointers. Yes. Nine three pointers, nine for 13 and was 13 of 20 in the game shooting 65%. That's incredible for a guy that's seven feet. I, I don't care that it's the Detroit Pistons who are one of the worst teams in the NBA. They played a good game. Um, they have players that are decent. You know, they're not they're not your uh, your Houston Rockets, who I think are the worst team in the NBA. But the marketing just played a fantastic game. And I think what was most surprising was the way that he was able to get his buckets. It wasn't just, um, you know, catch and shoot stuff, which he did a bit of. But he was able to be really versatile in the way that he was able to score. He had one play specifically where he attacked Jalen Duran. Uh, he dribbled in and then stepped back, created a ton of separation, and then hit the step back three. That's pretty rare to see from a seven foot guy to hit a step back three over a six ten defender um, who's a decent defender for his age. I I'm really surprised by Larry Markinen. I think he has absolutely built his resume as an all-star and it'll be really interesting to see how it all shakes up because the all-star game is being played in Utah there will be a little bit of like a a push for that for one of the Utah Jazz guys especially who's been the guy who's honestly been the best player on the Jazz all season there will be a big push for him to be an all-star but yeah I'm I love Laurie Markin and I think he's played absolutely fantastic this season. Again, 22 points on this, on the year, eight rebounds, two assists, shooting 53% from the field and 43% from the three, which is just absolutely insane. Um, he has been doing every everything for this jazz team last night. I was watching the game and I was like, man, is Laurie Markin just seven foot Bojan Bogdanovic? And to be clear, I'm really high on Bojan Bogdanovic. I think he was one of the top three players for the Jazz the last couple seasons. He's a pure scorer. And the more I thought about it, Lowry just does so many things better than Bojan. Um, he's a better defender. He's a has a much tighter handle. Anybody that watched the Jazz knew that as soon as Bojan would try to drive, it would get stripped out of his hands. And it happened last night too. But Lowry Markinen is just, he's solidifying himself as a top player in this league. And I think the all-star conversation is absolutely at play here. Who knows how it will shake up because the West front court has some players. You got your LeBron James, your Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Zion Williamson, who is definitely a starter in my opinion, Nikola Jokic. Um, and there will be a push for other guys, but I think Lowry Markkinen could easily slip into this conversation and perhaps walk out of this season with an all-star appearance. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think, I mean, and we probably talk about Lori on a weekly basis. Um, and like you said, it's valid because this guy is, he's a star now. And what's sad about, as you mentioned, that all-star voting is uh, has begun, it saddens me that we still have the fans vote for 50% of like the final standings because I swear no small market guys, except for like Zion, get like actual votes. And that really bothers me. And sometimes I feel like they put too much emphasis on the big name brands that maybe haven't had as good of a season as, you know, they used to have, but just because they have big names, they get into the all-star game. 
Lori Markinen is having an incredible season. And one of the one of the other verifications that I got about this was when I was watching the game against the Cleveland Cavaliers this last week. Obviously, with uh, me being a you know poor college student, I'm watching them on you know uh, I wouldn't say an illegal stream, but you know a little off brand stream, you know, to watch the game. And um, usually, you get the the home team's broadcast. And so I was listening to the the Cleveland guys, and every time, and I mean that was an atrocious game all around. And we uh, I wanted to dive more into that, but. Lori had half of the team's points at halftime. And I feel like every time that he scored a bucket or, or got the ball, the announcers were like, whoa, this is a very different Lori than what we saw while he was here. And you can look at the numbers, you can compare the two and see, yes, this is a very different player than what we've seen in the past. But they were just like, this is like night and day from what we saw when he was here playing for the Cavs. And I don't know what he attributes that to. I feel like a lot of it has come from his success when he played um, for Finland over the summer uh, in the Euro Cup and his success that he had over there. And it, I feel like it translated back to the league. But the confidence that he has is tremendous. And I think he can be a great leader for this team. Um, and going back to that Cleveland game, there was so much going on. And Laurie seemed to be at moments kind of the only saving grace. Maybe Taylor Horton Tucker's insane layup was uh, one of those as well. But Laurie seems to be, um, I wouldn't say a guy who, it like energizes or excites the players around him, but he just seems to be a steady force, like a calming force. Um, he's the guy that I like to look to in situations. Of course, when there's a close game and, you know, we need a bucket, you can look at, you know, the game against the Pelicans at home when things are getting dire, Conley passes it out. I automatically knew Markinen's getting that one in. He's the guy I want shooting when the game is tied. You know, we need a, we need a good shot at the end. But at the same time, when we need just a steady force, he seems to be that guy that can get consistent shots what he wants and he creates plays. And that's what you mentioned is his stellar game against Detroit. He's some of these passes he's getting, you know, catch and shoot. Yeah, he can do that, but also he's just able to create unlike some of the other guys that we've had with the jazz in the past. Um, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this game that they played against Donovan Mitchell in Cleveland a few nights ago. What are your thoughts about, uh, obviously it was a crappy game and we can dive into logistics there, but what are your thoughts about playing Donovan? And there was that article that broke out uh, the morning of the game talking, Donovan had an interview talking about his time with Utah and the jazz and what he's thankful for. What were your thoughts about that whole situation? Yeah. Yeah. For, for those that aren't familiar with the article is done by Mark Spears of the New York times. And he sat down with Donovan Mitchell and they talked about some various things from Donovan's experience with the Jazz to his relationship with Rudy Gobert. Um, I thought it was really interesting. I personally wasn't the biggest fan of the article. However, I do want to say I think Donovan's concerns about the state of Utah that he mentioned and about certain people in Utah and the way he was treated, I think those are fair. Those are his concerns, his experience. I don't want to take anything away from his experience. Um, I think the part that was hard for me reading it was – the effect that his comments might have on the jazz organization in the future. Um, I think the jazz organization treated Donovan Mitchell really well. They made changes. They um, catered to a lot of what he wanted. Ultimately, I don't think they necessarily played the style of basketball that he wanted. Um, but I do think they brought in some of his friends. They brought in uh, close teammates, kept close teammates, tried not to trade certain guys. And 
I feel like they all did it because they wanted to please the superstar. They wanted to keep Donovan around. Um, unfortunately, I think Donovan's comments about the state of Utah affect the organization. Um, I think players will look at those comments and look at Donovan's experience and uh, maybe look at Utah and say, that's not a place I want to be. And that might already be a narrative that exists in the NBA. I'm, I'm sure it is. I think a lot of players don't want to come to Utah. However, in the off chance that somebody does want to come to Utah and play for the Jazz, um, I think those comments can be damaging for the organization. Um, I really feel like the organization has turned itself around the last couple of years. I think under Ryan Smith's uh, ownership, bringing in guys like Dwayne Wade, Danny Ainge, they've made a very friendly environment, but also a competitive environment. And the identity of the team, the culture, I feel like it's all been very top tier. Um, however, I think comments like that really hurt what this organization can be in the future. Yeah, I think I agree with you 100% on what that article stated. I think for the longest time, uh, the Jazz have not been a popular location or destination for free agency players or um, I guess you could say players' level of excitement when they do get traded to Utah. It doesn't seem like going into it, they're very excited. And what's interesting, though, is I feel like most players after they finish their time with the jazz, never really seem to have any complaints about the organization itself or playing for the team. And I think that's a testament to what this franchise has tried to build. And especially like you said, with this new front office, this management, what they're trying to create. I think there's a lot of opportunities that they're making, especially with the all-star game coming here and um, bringing in these, you know, a, a new coaching staff and all this type of thing to kind of recreate uh, the vibe going on. Um, with the jazz, but Donovan's comments, I think were some of it was already kind of well-known talked about his chemistry with Rudy Gobert talked about um, his, his time in Utah. I thought it was interesting that one of the guys thought he, he asked if he thought it, he would get his Jersey retired, um, which I thought was interesting. I mean, he has a few records, but I wouldn't say anything notable to, to get put up with, you know, the Stocktons and Malones. And, but I think what was interesting though, was, um, Donovan was very happy with his time in Utah, especially with the, you know, he's thankful for it. Um, but I could just see in that game, he's, he's thriving in Cleveland and jazz fans didn't even need to watch that game to know that he was because this entire season, I think he should be a starter for the East I, in the all-star game. I mean, he's, he's been phenomenal and his shooting clip is fantastic. I, I love that Cavaliers team. And I think especially watching that game, the, the difference in defense to what I've expected seeing from Donovan, uh, that team all around knows what it's like to defend on the other end. And that was really impressive to watch. Um, but talking about Donovan Mitchell, wanting to put his Jersey up in the, up in the rafters um, gave me a question that I think is very interesting. So we're talking about the potential of a lot of these guys that are on this jazz roster, right? Like Lori Markinen and, um, you know, Malik Beasley or, you know, Walker Kessler being a, a future, you know, star. I have a question for you though. Does, do you think that anyone on this roster right now, if they stay here for, you know, maybe four or five years, do they have a chance of getting their Jersey in the rafters and would a championship automatically qualify any of them, especially if they're like the stars of the team 
Uh, but even if they didn't have a championship, do you think any of these guys could be up in the rafters by the time their career is over? Or do you think because the NBA shifts so much, there's not going to be any of these more like organizational guys where guys stick with the franchise for their entire career? Because I feel like that's the, that's the reason that Stockton Malone are up in the rafters is they're jazz men through and through, and they have these insane records that they got with the jazz. What are your thoughts? Do you think that there's anyone on this roster that could get up with those guys and get their jersey retired? I think that's a super interesting question. Um, looking at the Jazz roster, I think there are some guys you could probably pretty easily cross off. Like, I don't think Nikola Alexander-Walker or Taylor Horton-Tucker are going to get their jerseys retired. I don't know. Prove me wrong. Um, however, I do think the bar for getting your jersey retired for having it hanging up in the rafters is a pretty high bar. Uh, when you look at whose names are up in the rafters right now, and who's are missing, um, I think that puts this conversation into a lot more into, into some interesting perspective. For example, you don't have Darren Williams up there, who was one of probably the best player after John Stockton and Carl Malone for a while. Um, but his tenure ended poorly, and I don't think his jersey's gonna be up there ever, unfortunately. Um, the guys that are up there, it's John Stockton, Carl Malone, Adrian Dantley, Mark Eaton, those are all legendary guys who are Jasmine through and through. Um, and I don't know. I think, I think, I don't, I, I just don't see anybody on this roster besides Laurie Markinen getting his name up on the rafter. However, yeah. the championship totally changes that conversation. I think whoever wins finals MVP could definitely have his name up in the rafter. Like, let's say they go on an insane run this year and Jordan Clarkson wins finals MVP, he will be the most beloved jazz player ever. And he's already up there. Like, he's already top five, in my opinion, just the way that people have embraced him. But, yeah, I think I think that would be it's, – it's a, it's a tall ask. It's, yeah. it's, it's a lot to ask. Yeah, I, that is a very high bar, right? And there's only going to be a few players, right, each organization that's going to have their number retired. I thought it was interesting, though, because the jazz are so – they're so desperate. They have no championship. It's such a, there's such a drought in this area for winning, especially when it comes to the playoffs that I think if, if this team or players on this team in this era of jazz basketball were to get that championship, I, I agree with you. I think it completely changes the narrative on what would happen come the end of their career. If they wanted to get their Jersey retired. And I think you were spot on. If someone wins finals MVP in this era of jazz basketball, like they, they definitely have a great shot of getting up there because again, you're doing, you're doing something that no one else up there in the rafters could do in their career. And those are some of the great players, you know, in my opinion, those are two top 10, top 20 NBA players of all time, especially with a top five NBA coach of all time, things that those guys weren't able to do with this franchise, but you were able to do it in a new era of jazz basketball. I thought that was kind of interesting. And I'm not saying I'm expecting the jazz to win a championship this year or next year. Um, but I just thought it was an interesting conversation because I think looking at how this team is done in the playoffs, basically it's entire history, except for, you know, the Darren Williams era and um, the Stockton Malone era, it just hasn't, hasn't been great. And they haven't been to the finals that many times. And so I'm interested to see maybe how that would shake up in the future. Obviously, We've got a long way to see when will, when that will happen, but I just thought it was an interesting question. So that was that were all my jazz notes. I'll let you take it away from here, Richie. Well, I I just have a question for you. Do you think the Jazz retire Rudy Gobert's jersey? 
He's a three-time defensive player of the year. He was two-time all-star with the Jazz. He played eight seasons, was great, was is loved by Utah and the fans. What do you think yeah, about that? I th- that that is a that's another interesting question because I think he he has all those accolades, all this time spent with the Jazz. Two, even now that he's with the Minnesota Timberwolves, you see that he still has his charities open in Utah. He still loves living here. He still has his house. And I think, again, even though he's with the Timberwolves, in my opinion, he'll always be a jazz man, like through and through. And I think that will be an interesting conversation come the end of his career. We'll see if what he can do with other teams boosts that resume a little bit to you know, make him more of a, of a household name. But already he's been a generational defender when he was with the jazz. So that'll be interesting once his career comes to an end. And I think that will be something to look out for um, within the next 10 years. That's, that's a great question though. Um, I, I don't know where I'd lean exactly. I'm, I'm like probably leaning a little bit towards yes, maybe 60, 40. I don't know. Where do you stand on the situation? Uh, yeah, it is. It is a really interesting question here. Here's where I stand is I think that when Rudy Gobert's contract is up in four or five years or whatever, I kind of think he's going to come back to the Jazz. I mean, obviously a small sample size, but Minnesota is just not working. And I think he could possibly bounce around the league for a second. People could trade him, try to get off his contract. Maybe he gets waived even. I don't know. He just seems like one of those guys that would go back to his roots and would come back to Utah. Honestly, and, that would be that'd be the greatest game. I would make sure I'd go to that home game when he'd come back. That would be like <laughs> the crowd would be insane. That'd be awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, to answer that question, I don't know. I I think it's it's up in the air, and yeah, that's it's it's a tough question to ask. But he's one of the greatest centers of Utah Jazz history, probably the greatest center. Um, but I do think there is a guy who is slowly slowly working his way up to Rudy Gobert status and I don't think he'll ever get there but he does have a case to be kind of the quality center that Rudy Gobert is and I think that's Walker Kessler um Walker Kessler is having a phenomenal season he is one of the most impactful rookies um as far as helping his team win uh currently he is averaging 13 points and 12 rebounds per 36 minutes and is averaging 3.8 blocks in those minutes. And all you have to do is watch Walker Kessler. Um, he's probably a better def- better player on offense than Rudy Gobert was. Uh, his reverse dunks that he is able to do, like he'll catch the ball under the basket and then just go up with his hands backwards, reverse dunk it. Like that's something you wouldn't ever see from Rudy Gobert. Um He's probably about 65, maybe 70% of the defender Rudy Gobert was, though. Rudy Gobert was just able to read the court on a whole different level, a generational level, and I don't think Walker Kessler is quite there. But it is interesting to see um, what this guy could be because I do think he will be the starting center of this franchise, and I think they played around with that a little bit with Kelly Olynyk being out. Um, he's been the starting guy. He's played pretty decent in those minutes. Um, hit the pairing of him and Jared Vanderbilt isn't perfect, but if Jared Vanderbilt's able to make threes, then I think that totally changes what this Jazz team could do. Because I think they could start those two guys together. They could 
all of a sudden have all this defensive versatility in the front court that Utah Jazz fans just aren't used to because we only had one defender. But all of a sudden you got two great defenders, uh, two almost all and all defense defensive level guys. I think that totally changes what this Jazz team could do and what they could be. But yeah, I'm I've been really impressed with Walker Kessler. I think uh, the comparison to Rudy Gobert is obvious because he's a shot blocking big. Um, I think they're still pretty different players in Rudy Gobert. Let's not forget he was generational. He's a three-time defensive player of the year. Um, I think he benefited a lot from the system that was built around him, but I also think he was a really, really good player. And I think Walker Kessler is going to be looking at Rudy Gobert and might try to break some of those block records, might try to, I don't know, be a better player than Rudy Gobert. So it'll be interesting to watch Walker Kessler. What are your thoughts on Walker, Thatch? I I, th- I I completely agree with you. I think Walker has proven that he can be a great defender for this Jazz in the future. Um, you look at his block stats, even with the minimal minutes that he usually has with not being a starter, are phenomenal. Um, I look at one game, I think that's a great example that you can look at as a uh, kind of a test for what he can do in the paint is um, his his game against the Pelicans, um, that third game. The beat reporters for New Orleans said that they have not seen a center this entire season shut down Zion Williamson in the paint like they saw the rookie Walker Kessler do in that close matchup at Vivint Arena, which is surprising to me. Again, we have so many good and great big guys in the league. And the fact that a rookie... Um, who was part of a trade deal, who is usually a backup, was the one who was able to shut down Zion Williams in the paint, is a huge tell for what this guy can do, and especially what Kessler's ceiling can be in the future. I think if you're able to lock down one of the stars of the league where he thrives on the court, like that shows you right there. That's a sample enough. Like, hey, this guy can do something. I think, I think the biggest thing that he can definitely improve on is is working that offense and you you talked earlier about his his way of finding ways to get to the rim like that back dunk i feel like he finds way every game to get a backwards dunk in and his i i think another big key that sets him apart from gobert is his ability to handle the ball just a little bit better i i mean there it's not much that it's not much of an ask to be better at handling the ball than rudy gobert but it's it's such a it gives me confidence in my center to know like hey if if conley finds this guy down low he doesn't have a big chance, like a, as big of a chance of fumbling it as Gobert used to have back in the day. But I think he has a really big upside. Um, again, small sample, right? Half of his first rookie season, that's all we have. But I think the way that they can shape him to be who they want him to be, like, I think it can happen. So I'm excited to see what he does. So, yeah, should be interesting. Um, all right, we've talked a lot about the Jazz, but of course, we've got to talk about the Utes as well. And with it being National Signing Day, there's there's a lot to talk about. Obviously, we don't have a game um, coming up this week, but coming up soon, we got the Rose Bowl. We'll talk about that a little bit. But obviously, uh, we we got to talk about some commits. We talked about it earlier at the beginning of the show. Um, but I just wanted to talk about two that stood out to me in this commitment class. Um, the two that stood out to me were C.J. Blocker, cornerback, and Spencer Fano, the offensive tackle. And two of these guys were names that have been dropped around a lot by Utah fans, so I'm sure most of you are already pretty familiar with the two. Um, but I was just going to run through them real quick, and Richie, I'm sure you have some thoughts on some commits maybe you liked as well. But C.J. Blocker was is a four-star, top 200 guy, offers from USC, Alabama, Kentucky, Boston College. 
Um, he was committed to Utah in the summer. Um, and then he decommitted kind of towards the end of the season. Uh, it could, I think it was like November, October, like early November ish. Um, but then he recommitted um, just last week um, or a few weeks ago, right after the championship game. And this guy is insanely fast, runs a 10, four, 700 meter. He's got a great build. And a lot of guys um, had a lot of great things to say about this kid. So that's, that's one that stands out to me. The other one, Spencer Fano, right? Guy from his, uh, from the home state went to Timpview. Uh, he's a top 100 guy per 24 seven in ESPN, four stars. He had offers from 25 schools, um, including the likes of Clemson, Michigan, Oregon, USC, LSU, Tennessee, and BYU, who he was favored to go to because his brother was there. But after the championship game, things started shifting in the Utes' directions, and turns out that Utah got both of them. Um, I, I just think overall this recruiting class is phenomenal, and we talked about it earlier. You look at the offers that these guys got from other programs, and to me this speaks of two things. One, the culture that Utah is building and that it has had ever since Whittingham has taken over. And two, I think what you were talking about earlier with Whittingham becoming a little bit more progressive in his ideology as a coach – I think that also translates to NIL. We heard him earlier in the season say that you'll basically see that the top 25 recruiting classes in the country will be the top 25 NIL programs, basically where players will get paid the most. And I feel like the narrative for the longest time was that Utah was going to fade into the background once NIL started gaining speed because they didn't have as, no, have as much money as these other big name brands, right? USC, Oregon, Alabama, these types of programs where you don't necessarily need to be great to still have the brand and name recognition that they do. For example, look at Oregon today. They flipped two five-star recruits from other schools. Um, and you can, you can bet that Phil Knight probably pulled out all the money that he had to get those two recruits to go to Oregon. But I think this is speaking to the way that Kyle Whittingham is sure. He may disagree with the landscape of college football right now, but he's playing to what the cards are telling him. You know, He has his hand and now he's going to play it. And the fact that in this age, this new age of NIL, the fact that we now have a top 20 recruiting class is speaking to the way that Kyle Whittingham has adapted his coaching. And so I'm interested to see maybe how this adapts in the future, because the biggest thing we heard after the USC game was culture wins over, you know, money. Uh, because, you know, the big narrative was, right, Lincoln Riley bought this USC team through the transfer portal through NIL, right? Caleb Williams reportedly earning a few million dollars a year. You get Jordan Addison, the defending Bolitnikoff Award winner. And so Utah is able to win that with, again, their same normal recruiting class going back to back. And Mark Harlan, the Utah athletic director, was that was, his, that was his phrase or saying after the championship game was culture always wins. Well, now you have a culture, a great culture in Utah football, pairing with this future NIL, this 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 top 20 recruiting class. And I think the future is limitless, which also reminds me, I don't know. Do you follow big game boomer? Or have you heard of him on Twitter? <laughs> I do follow. I, I know what you're referring to already. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So for those of you who don't know, big game boomer is this guy from, I think he's from Arkansas who basically just makes polls and rankings. Um, just what he thinks his opinions. Right. And it kind of gained traction over this last college football season. Um, I work over at BYU TV Big guy. Everyone loves him at BYU TV. They love his rankings. And because he's usually a troll for Utah fans, he gets them riled up. And um, we even like they even brought Big Game Boomer on their morning sports show, which I helped produce, which I thought was hilarious. 
Um, but one thing that I thought was interesting, and and I you already knew I was going to this, but he tweeted out um, the teams that he thought had the most potential um, in every state in the country. And in Utah, he said that BYU had the most potential out of any college football team in the state, which I thought was funny. And so someone tweeted and said, like, well, what the heck? Utah just went back to back. Like, what are you thinking here? And he's like, well, Utah's hit its ceiling, but BYU hasn't yet. Well, I agree with the BYU part for sure. I just think with what's happening with Utah, there's no way they've hit their ceiling yet because they had playoff aspirations at the beginning of the year. And I don't, again, I think that was a disappointment to a lot of Utah fans because I think that were, that was a lot of our expectations. But you look at what they did with all that went wrong this season, still won a Pac 12 championship. I think if Rising and Keithy come back and maybe Vele, because um, those two said basically they'll follow Rising if he comes back, you get this recruiting class. I mean, how can how can this already be the ceiling? Like, how can you not think maybe this team can go further? I just thought that was a wild suggestion uh, by by Big Game Boomer. I just thought that that's hilarious. And this this recruiting class is speaking to me like, yes, the ceiling has not been hit. Utah can go further. Those are my thoughts. I don't know what you thought about that whole thing. No, yeah, I I thought that uh, that whole ranking was was very interesting. Um, Utah football has been talking about the playoffs since for a couple years now. Like we were in the picture, uh, Tyler Huntley's last year at Utah, and we had hopes at the beginning of this season. So I just I don't know how can how can you say that their future is necessarily brighter than ours when we're going we're playing in the brightest games where the lights are the brightest. We're playing in the granddaddy of them all every every year. We're playing just these really high tier games and like, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, to look at BYU and say that their future is necessarily brighter when we haven't seen them in the big 12. We haven't seen how they fit. We haven't seen um, how things are going to change for them. Granted, I do think they are making some awesome changes with their coaching staff. I think they're um, getting some really good guys in there who happen to have played or coached for the university of Utah before, um, I just, I think, and I, I think their future is bright, but I do think Utah is going to be a team that could possibly perennially be in the college football playoff picture. Um, teams are going to be talking to, or we're going to be talked about for years to come. Um, like you said, as the recruiting increases, uh, we're just going to get better. Like who knows what could happen with Nate Johnson or Mac Howard, whether or not Cam Rising comes or or decides to go to the NFL. Um, but either one of those guys could take the reins. Um, and I don't know. I, I really don't think you can put a ceiling on this team when you haven't seen everything that they put out yet. And, yeah, the season didn't go according to plan, let's be honest. That game against Florida was bad. That game against Oregon was bad. That game against UCLA was really bad. Um However, we still ended up going to the Rose Bowl. We still ended up going to the Pac-12 championship, beating the number three, the number four team in the nation. Um, and I don't know. I think I don't think you can necessarily discredit those things and say that Utah doesn't have a high ceiling or that they've reached their ceiling. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I just think there's there's no way that you can say that. So I'm interested to see what happens. And I think this game against Penn State can prove. And I think this might switch sway some players to like, you know, go to the come back for another season. And I think rising is a big one that everyone's kind of waiting on. Um, 
So what are your thoughts about this matchup going into the Rose Bowl against Penn State? It's it's a really interesting matchup. Um, if you look at it on paper, the teams are basically the same team. Um, they're very similar teams, the way that they play. They're statistically, they're very similar. Um, Penn State this year had an okay year. I mean, they went 10-2. and two. Their two losses came to two playoff teams, but they didn't beat any ranked teams all year. And so this will be interesting. It's their third opportunity against a ranked team and they'll have an opportunity to prove that they are deserving of their of their um, ranking in the college football playoff standings. And I don't know, it'll be a really interesting game. To go through some stats that I thought were interesting, um, Penn State allows 18 points per game. Utah allows 20. Um, total yards, Penn State averages about 432, where Utah averages 472. They're a little heavier on the passing than they are on the rushing, just like Utah is. Um, they allow more passing yards than they do rushing yards, just like Utah. And the numbers are so, so close. Like rushing yards allowed, Penn State allows 105, Utah allows 107. It's just like these teams looking at them on paper are pretty much identical. Um, they're led by a sixth-year senior quarterback who is honestly a very solid and can be really good. Um, this year he had, he threw for 2,543 yards, 22 touchdowns and seven interceptions. Um, he's definitely the guy that Utah's going to have to stop. I do think he has a lot of experience. He's played in big games like this. So it'll be an awesome opportunity for Cam Rising to rise up once again, to take, um, the lead to outduel the quarterback who might be considered better. Um, it'll just be a, a really good game. I mean, the game's still pretty far out. The spread right now is Utah. Um, it favors Utah by two and a half points. And I don't know. It'll it'll be a really good game. I think I think what's most exciting about this game versus last year when Utah played Ohio State is last year Ohio State had playoff hopes. They were totally not wanting to be in the Rose Bowl. We saw that by the guys they sat. Granted, they did still play some guys that are going to be in the NFL next year. Um, but Penn State, they want to be here. They want to play in the Rose Bowl. They want to play Utah. They want to beat Utah. Their fans are going to travel. It's going to be a little bit different than it was last year against Ohio State. And I think for Utah, for the sake of the Rose Bowl game, that's just that's all going in their favor. That's all going to be awesome because you are getting a really good game. You're going to be getting two teams that want to win, that want to be there. And I think ratings are going to be through the roof again, just like they were last year. Yeah, I think the want to be there is definitely the big difference in comparison to last year. And I think the matchup, like you've been talking about, is way better than it was last year. And I mean, look at the matchup we got against Ohio State. So I think this one's going to be very interesting to see. And this can be such a big boost going into the next season. And like I said before, this could persuade players to maybe come back and do it again, three-peat. Uh, players have been hinting and talking about that as well. Uh, which brings me to my other note about this youth team. And the conversation ever since the championship ended is all about the transfer portal and players going, um, transferring to different teams, certain players coming back. And from what we've seen so far, I think the Pac-12 is going to be deep once again. And, and my biggest question is, can this Utes team compete next year? If, say, for example, if Rising goes, if Keithy goes, right, you have Caleb Williams coming back for USC, Michael Penix coming back for Washington, who would be my favorite for the Heisman. 
You have Bo Nix coming back for Oregon. You have Drew Pine, the Notre Dame quarterback, going to ASU. UCLA flipped a five-star quarterback that was going to Oregon to go to UCLA. Oregon State has proven that they can be such a great team if they can pick up a quarterback in the portal. I'm just looking around and I'm thinking, holy cow, like this conference may be even more competitive than it was last year. And then you look at the type of games that Utah has to play next year. Um, not to mention that in non-conference, Utah's playing Florida at Baylor. And then their road games would be at Oregon State, um, at Arizona, at USC, at Washington. Like, this is getting pretty daunting. And so I don't want to look ahead because, again, we still have a bowl game to look forward to like you've been talking about. But I just think with all this talent returning in the conference for next season, do you think that Utah can compete in 2023? I think you can't discredit this team and what they've been through. Um because we were kind of talking about it last year. We were talking about these same things, like Utah is going to be playing Florida at home or in Florida at the Swamp. Um, instead of playing Oregon at home, they're going to be going to Oregon and playing there. And we we do know how both those games turned out, but I do think this Utah team deserves a bit of credit because they have shown that they can win. They can win in almost any situation. Um, I think if Cam Rising comes back, then this team has a really high ceiling. And he has shown that he's a gamer. I think he had some bad games this year, and I think he'll want to prove that those bad games weren't the normal. I think he'll want to prove that he is a capable quarterback, that he can run an offense in any situation. And I think he'll want to seize the moment. Cam Rising is definitely that guy who rises up for every single moment. And I think this year he had some moments where – Maybe he didn't rise up like we wanted him to. Um, but I think he'll have opportunities next year if he comes back to show that he's really a good player, that he's an NFL quality player. And I think playing those big games is what shows it more than anything else. Um, so I, I don't know. I think this Utah's team success next year hinges on him because it is a tough schedule. Like you said, it's brutal. Um, you got some brutal out-of-conference games. You got some brutal in-conference games. And the conference is staying so competitive. I think it's really fun that this year we probably had the best quarterback play in the nation of any conference. And next year he got pretty much everybody returning. And I think next year the quarterback play is going to be awesome. And Cam Rising could definitely step in and try to prove that he's the best quarterback in this conference. So I, do, I don't think you can ever discredit this Utah team. I don't think you can say that they're going to underperform um, when they have risen up over and over again. I, I know things broke right for them this year in, in some ways, and but things also didn't break right for them in some ways. So uh, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be really fun to watch what happens over this next month because Cam Rising's decision will be a very good indicator of where this Utah program is going to be next year. Yeah, I think it all depends on his decision. I don't know if Utah's going to go to the transfer portal to grab a quarterback and maybe – you know, train Nate Johnson for another year, or maybe they have just Bryson Barnes run the reins for this next year. But I just think that rising had again, another solid year, but the I'd say two out of the three losses, which were the, probably the most critical, the Florida and the Oregon game. Those are the games where he probably had his worst of, of his season um, and in critical moments. And like you said, those are the games that people watch. And those are the games that NFL guys watch because 
they're big time, right? These are the moments you got to step up and you got to perform because that's what people in the next league want to see you do. And with this schedule next year, if Rising comes back, he'll have opportunity after opportunity to prove that he can do that. Um, and I think he can look to one of his teammates that did that this year. I think, I think Clark Phillips is a guy who stepped up in all of these big games, right? Florida, he's able to, he, he couldn't really be a factor because Anthony Richardson was just running all over us. But you look at UCLA locking down his guys, pick six, look at Oregon, got a great interception at the end of the game. Great PBU. And, and that interception led, could have possibly led Utah to win that game. Um, you look at USC, right? Lockdown play against uh, Jordan Addison in the end zone. Like, I think he can look at that teammate and say, Hey, this is the guy, this is a guy that can step up in big time moments. I want to follow that example. I don't know. What were your thoughts on, on Clark Phillips this year as, as being that guy for Utah? Man, Clark Phillips was phenomenal this year. Uh, he has definitely solidified his spot in the first round of the NFL draft. He's looking like one of, if not the best cornerback in um, in college football. His play has just been great. His his grading has been phenomenal. And most importantly, what he allows Utah to do, what he allows the defense to do. It's kind of like the Rudy Gobert factor where because you have a guy back there, everybody else is able to um, play a little bit differently. And Morgan Scally absolutely factored that into his play calling, especially in the Pac-12 championship. Um, because Clark Phillips was back there, because they had lockdown defense in the secondary, uh, he was able to send his guys. Utah blitzed on like 70% of their possessions that game. And that you can only do that if you got a lockdown guy like Clark Phillips. So I think he absolutely changed what Utah was able to do that game. He's definitely a game changer on every level of football. And yeah, his he has already declared for the NFL draft, which is really exciting. However, I'm just I'm looking for some clarity here because if you read his Instagram post or his Twitter post, he does declare for the NFL draft, but he doesn't rule out a Rose Bowl appearance. He doesn't say that he's not playing in the Rose Bowl. Is there any chance we see Clark Phillips in the Rose Bowl thatch? I mean, I think there's always a chance, right? Um, I, I Yeah, he didn't say anything in his statement. As far as what I've heard from reporters is that he's not playing in the Rose Bowl. But I think if, hey, if, if Clark Phillips is in there, that's a game changer because Penn State will be without their top catcher and their top cornerback. Um, because again, I think Penn State has an, an elite secondary and taking out one of their top guys um, will be a great um, advantage for this Utah offense. So if Clark Phillips is able to play that bring that, I think that sways the kind of the, the betting line further over onto Utah's side. But at least from what I've heard on reports is that he's not playing in the Rose bowl, but Hey, I, yeah, I wouldn't rule anything out. I think the biggest thing though, is like you said, he's a first round lock and I would hate for him to go out there literally, you know, a few plays in get injured. Dude loses millions of dollars. I feel like he's the kind of guy to plan ahead. Seems like a more mature kid. Um, so I would lean towards him not playing because of that guaranteed money. Like you said, that's going to be in the first round. Um, but Hey, who knows? Maybe he's a, maybe he's just all in, you know, he's ready to fight for his guys one more time. We'll see. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I guess he, he wasn't on the depth chart looking at it. So, but who knows? Maybe, maybe they'll, they'll surprise us. 
Hey, they gave us a surprise last year. You know, Makai Bernard, a cornerback. Lockdown, <laughs> dude. Lockdown. <laughs> All right, we'll go into our last topic, Utes basketball. And I think this is, a, this is super relevant, right? You mentioned it earlier, lost to BYU at the Marriott Center to a team, a BYU team that's a quad three team now, which kind of destroys their resume. It doesn't destroy, but it, it, it hurts their resume quite a bit. Um, what were your thoughts about that game? Man, that's a frustrating game. Um, yeah, that's that's the one word I would use to describe it. Utah has shown that they're a pretty decent team this year. BYU is a pretty average team. They don't have they're not the same team that they've been in years past. They don't have the shooters that they have. Uh, they don't even have necessarily the athleticism that they've had in years past. They just play really, really hard, and I think Utah got out coached big time in this game. Credit to Mark Pope because. I think his guys came to this game ready, and I don't think Utah's guys did. Um, Utah this game against BYU, they shot 40% from the field, 20% from three. They kind of just looked like they were flustered the entire game. Um, they didn't get out-rebounded by too much. Like They were still physical. They were competitive. They stayed in the game for most of it. Um, it wasn't necessarily like a blowout loss, but it was a bad loss where – just nothing seemed to be going right. Nobody seemed to really hit their stride. Gabe Matson got into foul trouble early. It was overall just a really, really rough game for this Utah Utes squad. I think a big factor of it is I just don't know if this Utah squad has played in an environment like Provo. And that might sound crazy, like an environment like Provo really. Is that the biggest environment in college basketball? No. Uh, however, it is a brutal environment when they're playing the Utes and um, they definitely showed up. Their fans showed up. Credit to them. I think that played a big part in their win. Um, and I think it rattled some of Utah Utes players. So it'll be really interesting to see how they bounce back against TCU because I think that's an opportunity to show that that game against BYU was a little bit fluky. Um, what what really struck out to me most, though, was I just think I think Craig Smith has gotten out coached by Mark Pope every single time that they've played each other. I think that's kind of the underlying story is Craig Smith hasn't been able to beat Mark Pope. He hasn't been able to figure him out. Um, this year's Utah team is probably better than BYU's team is this year. Uh, they had a lot of guys transfer away. They've had some injuries. They're um, kind of struggling in there, but he just absolutely got out coached which is weird because I think Craig Smith is on the other end has outcoached some guys. I think in Arizona uh, when youths played Arizona, I think he had a really clear game plan that worked and you could see it from the first play of the game. When Utah started shooting threes, when Brandon Carlson started shooting threes and stretching the floor, that's not something that Utah had this game. They didn't have a clear game plan. Um, it didn't seem like they had something that was going to really work for them. That was going to work against BYU uh, contrary to that Arizona game where they definitely had something going for them. So I don't, I don't know. It's, it'll be interesting to see what Craig Smith is able to do this next game against TCU. Cause I think that's kind of what this out of conference season hinges hinges on. If you're able to beat TCU and finish, finish out of conference play uh, with a win over a top 20 team, then you can really feel good about what you did out of conference and you can gear up for conference play. Yeah, I think the biggest conversation that we've been having about this youth squad is like, is this game an anomaly? Is this game an anomaly? Um, and, and that 
I think, like you said, all hinges on tonight's game against TCU. And most of the people listening to this, the game will have already happened. So hopefully it goes well. I don't know. Um, but I was actually able to be there in person. I can definitely say the crowd played a factor. But I, I just think the biggest thing was the mentality going into the game for Utah. Uh, BYU struggling season, right? Going into it, they were 7-5. and five, Had some brutal losses against South Dakota and UVU, which is what inevitably dropped them to a quad three team. And Utah's going in there, right? They've played some great ball in non-conference play. And I just think they didn't go in there with the kind of the killer mentality or as the basketball players like to call it the Mamba mentality uh, of trying to go in there and get a win. And I just think these BYU guys were desperate. They wanted one. And obviously against Utah, like that's still a big game um, for the state. And so I think the BYU guys took it more personally. And it just seemed like, I think a big key for that has to be in the rebounding category. Like Utah was able to out-rebound Arizona, right? And and the strength of this year's team has been rebounding. Like they're a top 10 team in the country in, in the rebounding stat. And so I think if you're out-rebounded by a quad three team, you deserve to lose 100%. And especially on BYU's offensive boards, like they were getting a ton of second chance points. So I'm interested to see how Utah fares tonight against a great TCU team, definitely more athletic, way more talented than BYU. But can they can they pull up to the challenge? Can they bring back that mentality? Because I think last year we looked at some games. Utah was, of course, on paper, just not a good team at all. But they made some close games against some really good opponents, right? You look at UCLA at home, uh, the first half of Arizona on the road where they were beating U of A on the road um, in the McHale Center. I, I just think their mentality last year was, hey, no one, they think we're going to roll over, right? And so they're not going to come with their their top game. And so it took some teams like up until the, you know, the second half or end of the game to start kicking it in and to eventually pull it out against the Utes. And, and this year, I think Utah maybe gone to that, oh, we beat Arizona, right? Let's just show up. We play our game. We win. I think you always have to have the mentality of like, hey, they think they can still roll over us. And I think maybe this BYU game could spark that mentality back into the Utes squad. And before, like you were talking about, yeah, we had NCAA tournament um, aspirations for this team, projected to be, you know, the 10 seed um, very early, right? Still non-conference. But uh, again, this team was proving like, hey, they can compete with some of the best. Uh, but now you look at this BYU this BYU game, and now you're thinking, well, maybe this, maybe that Arizona game was the anomaly. That was the exception. So I don't know if your expectations have changed after that one game against BYU. For me, I still think I feel pretty confident that this team can probably get to an NIT tournament. Um, I still have a, obviously I still have a little bit of hope for them going to the NCAA, maybe. Uh, but what have your, how have your expectations changed based on uh, these last few weeks uh, from Utes basketball? Yeah, I think in some of the early, way too early brackets that I've seen um, this last year or this last week, I mean. Uh, Utah is still projected kind of in the NCAA tournament picture, like a first four team out or a first four team in. Um, so I think there's still definitely hopes and conference play is going to be big. Uh, Utah Utes, they start with going to Northern California. They play Cal and Stanford. Cal is a horrendous team. That should be an easy win. And Stanford's pretty good. Stanford's definitely the kind of team that you're going to need to beat if you're Utah. Um, Looking around the conference, like there's some quality teams. Oregon is not looking as good as they were preseason. They just lost to Utah Valley the other night. Credit to the Wolverines. Um, but there are also some teams that are kind of figuring it out. USC has been figuring it out. UCLA is looking really good. They've gotten some marquee wins this last week. 
Arizona is really figured it out. They're looking like a top five team again. Um, and just around the league, it's going to be competitive Pac-12. We're probably not the best conference in the NCAA, but we're definitely a competitive conference. And so if Utah is kind of able to beat those middle-tier teams, those Stanford's, Washington State's, Oregon State, and kind of put themselves in the picture with Arizona or with Arizona, UCLA, and USC, then I think they're going to find themselves in a really good spot, and they're going to be in contention for a Pac-12 or for an NCAA tournament bid. Um, but conference play is going to be big. You're probably going to need to get one or two upsets and beat the teams that you're supposed to beat and hope things just go your way. I think overall, though, Utah fans shouldn't get too excited about going to the NCAA tournament. I think those are definitely high aspirations. It's it's a rough conference, like I said. Teams tend to beat each other up, and um, teams also tend to just kind of end each other's hopes at, at anything, where the, whether it's football, football or basketball. Um, so – Utah just they have a they have a tall task. They gotta they gotta win the games that they're supposed to and maybe get a couple of upsets and not lose any bad games. And then they might have a shot at an NCAA tournament, but it's a tall ask. Yeah, it for sure is a big ask. But what do you think about uh what do you think about NIT aspirations? Do you think that's a valid a valid hope for this team? I think that I think that's very realistic. Um if they stay healthy, this Utah team has the things that you need to be to possibly have an NIT berth. They got the athleticism, they got the players, they got the experience, most of all. I feel like that's been a really big transition from this last year to this year is that extra year of experience that players have under their belt. I think NIT aspirations are definitely realistic. I think you'd be happy about an NIT uh, berth after last year because last year was just, it was a bad year, it was a down year. Um, I think expectations were low, but uh, you're still able to meet those expectations, those low, low expectations. So if Utah gets to the NIT, then that's a sign of improvement. That's a sign of life in the program. And you got to be really happy about that. You got to hang your hat on that. I absolutely agree. Let's let's see what happens tonight. Hopefully you just get a win and can move on in a conference play with uh, a solid uh, resume under their belts. But we got to end our episode like we always do with the Thatcher Effect draft segment. Richie, you talked about it. We're doing Marvel characters. So who's going to be our starting five for this week? Let's find out. Who's who has the first pick this week? It's been a few, it's been a few weeks since we last did this. Ooh. I think it's you, man. I think it's okay. you. All right. All right. All right. I'll I'll uh I'll take the wonderful honors. All right. First pick, I'm gonna go with the power forward position. Uh this is a guy who's unrivaled. Um, it takes everyone to beat him. I'm gonna go with Thanos. I, I just Ooh. think dude's a boss right takes literally the whole of all the avengers to beat him i think you have him at the four uh he can stretch he can stretch you out but i mean he's dominant in the paint but he can beat the guys up top too so I'm, I'm gonna go with thanos with the number one pick i like it i like it um man that was that was gonna be my number one pick i think i think when you're talking about the big dot guys I don't want Hulk matching up with Thanos, but I am going to take Hulk first and I'm going to put him at the center position. Cause you know, I just want to avoid the mass matchup. We saw what happened. We saw Thanos kick his butt, but I still think Hulk is like tip top of the, of the list. You know, he's, he's one or two. So I'm taking him, but I'm avoiding that matchup. Yeah. I, I, here's the thing. I think that's a small sample size, right? You're pulling from one game. 
who knows? Maybe maybe Hulk gets the best of him. And plus, I I don't know if I don't think Thanos would have the Infinity Gauntlet in this scenario. So I think Hulk could give him a run for his money. Yeah, I I agree. Hey, who knows? Hulk <laughs> might have he might have just been not on his game. He might have been going through some other things mentally. Yeah, just yeah. wasn't all there. Oh, for sure. I absolutely agree with you. All right, I'm gonna go. I'm going to go with the shooting guard position. I'm going to go with the man who never misses. Give me Hawkeye, right? Dude can Ooh. snake eyes. He's got it all. So I'm, I'm going to go with the shooter, Hawkeye, at the two. Dude, I love it. Um, I'm going to look at my point guard position. I need a guy that can just get the ball anywhere. I think Dr. Strange is my guy. Just what, what he's able to do with the sling ring and stuff, like open up portals. I just He's going to be able to pass anywhere. So I'm taking him at my point guard position. Also, just incredibly smart John Stockton-esque mentality. Yeah, that that might be the most shifty point guard in the league. You might have just drafted the best. That that might be the steal. Um, at, at the number one, I'm going to do point guard as well, right? This is your leader. This is a guy you need to kind of lead the charge. You also need intelligence. Um, give me a man who just inspires everyone. Give me, give me Captain America at the one. I love it. I love it. Um, man, I think. I think looking at my four, I'm going to take the guy that rhymes with four. Four. Uh, I, don't, I don't really have any logic backing it up. I just I just like the matchup of him and Thanos. Yeah, that, that, I think that's the reason you have to put him at the, at the four. I just think he obviously dom- he dominated Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet. So I just think you got to go with him. Um, okay, this is tough. Oh. All right, so at the three, I'm going to go with a fan favorite. Um, Thor was originally going to be, he was on our board to go with the three position, but I'm going to go with Spider-Man. All the kids love him. He's inspirational, uh, but I also think he's he's just a generational talent. He's he's classic. Everyone loves him. Um, So I think he's going to bring fans to the game. I I don't know. He might be on or off uh, some days. But I just think overall the fan effect that he's going to have for my team, I'm, I'm going to put him at the three. So I'm going to go with Spider-Man. Dude, I, I love it. Um, I'm wanting to take Iron Man, but I'm just worried about team chemistry with him and Doctor Strange. So I think I'm going to avoid that pick in general. Um, I'm looking at my two, and, I, and I, I've got a clear need to fill, to fill. I need somebody that's accurate. I need somebody that can shoot, that can hold his own. Uh Unfortunately, I think I'm gonna take Vision at my number two. Actually, that's not unfortunate. I I, I trust that pick wholeheartedly. Wow. Yeah. Uh, listen, he's he's got great knowledge. Speak about Vision on the court. You kidding me? It's a steal. <laughs> All right. Um. Final pick. It's my center position. I, you can't really go against the Hulk. Like, I mean, come on. I could go Abomination. Like, do a matchup, but that's kind of weak. So I'm going to go with the man himself. I'm going to go with Groot at the five. Uh, dude, dude doesn't say much, but he gets the job done. And I just think that that, that can be a good matchup um, down in the paint. Dude, honestly, I have to say this this might have been our best draft. I, I think this is a, <laughs> a, this is a good matchup. This, this is a good matchup. We're, we're really incorporating all the matchup aspects into it. Yeah, I, um, I like it. At my the, three, uh, I'm looking at my small forward position. And man, I'm I'm kind of struggling here. I'm thinking about all the guys. I'm thinking about your Falcons, your War Machines. Um, ultimately, though, 
you know, your two and three, those are some of the important, most important positions in basketball. The wing position is so important these days. I think I'm going to take Scarlet Witch at my three just because I like the chemistry around the perimeter. I like what she and Vision are going to be able to do. So I'm taking Scarlet Witch. Wow. And yeah, that's that's going to be great team chemistry. You, you kidding me? That I'm, I'm so excited, dude. I'm like, dude, put them in 2K. <laughs> let's go, man. Let's see this. All right. Let's 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 expand a little further. Who would you have as your head coach? Oh, man, dude, that's that's a good question. I think I think I'd have Iron Man. I like the brains. I know I I was talking about the kind of the chemistry issues, but maybe maybe instead of having a Shaq and Kobe thing, it's going to be more like Phil Jackson and Kobe, where it's a little Ooh. bit more of a, a manageable situation. So uh, yeah, like I, I kind of like, like that. It. I think uh, I think the obvious choice has to be Nick Fury, right? You got to go with the guy who puts put them all together, right? Maybe you put him at the owner. Maybe we'll put him at the we'll put him at the owner position. Maybe CEO. That might be good. <laughs> All right, Rich, any, any final thoughts for us as we end this episode? Dude, uh, I don't think so. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays. Hope everyone has a safe and, and great Christmas vacation. Hope everyone has some some great gifts and great time with family. So happy to be uh, doing this again. Um, it's been a great time. Thank you all for listening. And we're excited to keep talking. We got more stuff coming up, so keep tuning in. But that's it for this week's edition of The Thatcher Effect. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you next week.